Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the final Devils Talking Padres episode of the 2020 season. Unfortunately, the Padres were bounced in the NLDS by the Dodgers. And the Los Angeles Dodgers have been the best team in all baseball all year, so this was really no surprise that the Padres couldn't find a way to win the series, especially without Denelson Levent and Mike Levenger. Nonetheless, Bobby and I were here uh, the next day on Friday to talk about it. Bobby, how are you doing today? I know it can't be great knowing that we don't got Padres baseball for a couple more months. I mean, I'm doing good, Dom. I mean, it sucks that we got swept by the Los Angeles Dodgers, our biggest rival. But, I mean, I really didn't expect anything anything different. I mean, would have loved to take a game or two or three. But, I mean, without without Clevenger, without Lamette, I mean, I just really did not see it happening. With them, it would have been an amazing series, and I guess we'll just have to wait till next year to see that. Right, and the way the Padres lost some of the games was really heartbreaking. They're really there in two of the three games right there with the Dodgers for the majority of the time. Unfortunately, they couldn't get the job done. So let's talk about these three games individually. Let's talk about game one. Padres jumped out to an early lead on an Austin Nola single in the fourth inning. And then at the bottom of the fifth, the Dodgers scraped across a run. What was really a weird play, the Padres were shifting a bit, and ball was hit into the into the right side. Jake Cronenworth at second base fielded it, threw the ball to Eric Cosmer, who was kind of late getting to the bag, didn't get his foot on the bag, and he was more worried about that. Ended up not catching the ball, a run scored. And then the following inning in the sixth inning, the Dodgers got four runs, and that was all that they needed to win five to one. Bobby, what were your thoughts on game one? In game one, I mean, the pat, the bats really didn't get it going. Um, and you, you can't score one run against the Dodgers and hope you'll win the game. But, I mean, the error was called on Cronenworth in the bottom of the fifth. But Padres were up 1-0 at that point. And if Hosmer can make that catch, going into the sixth inning, stole the 1-0 lead. So that kind of just shifted the momentum. Bottom six, I mean, that hurt a lot there. We had... Um, with Hill, Richards, and Strom, they all allowed some runs in those innings. But I mean, it just it just hurts. That's what the Dodgers do, and they just make make the plays that they need. And they weren't even the RBIs that they got. They weren't even hard hit balls. They just put the ball in play, hit her exactly where it was supposed to be, and that just got the runs across that they needed to win the game. Right. They they were much more clutch with runners in scoring position than the Padres were. That's for sure. And that just comes with the postseason experience. Almost every single one of the players in the Dodgers team, especially the people that were playing, have played in multiple postseasons, especially multiple deep runs into the postseason. And it showed. And they're they're definitely more talented than the Padres. But the Padres are right there in this game. They just couldn't find ways to clutch up in those key situations. You just kind of knew that when they strained the bases loaded in the second inning, you're like, It's a missed opportunity. They did come around and get the runs in the fourth inning. But when you're facing an elite pitching staff like the Los Angeles Dodgers, you're not going to get a ton of scoring opportunities. And the Padres didn't necessarily capitalize on any of them. And the Dodgers, they they had a lot of hard hit outs, which made it more frustrating because then they wouldn't hit the ball hard and it would find a way to drop. And playing at Globe Life Park in Texas, it's a huge stadium. So, you do see a lot of those blue pits, and that's part of the reason that games were high scoring there. It's the same thing as Coors Field. Coors Field is a massive field, 
the ball flies there, but if you get jammed, it's going to drop in front of the outfielders because they have to play so deep because it's such a big field. And you saw that a lot. And it was unfortunate because I thought the Padres played decently well. Pitching staff was very shaky, a ton of walks. Of all the guys that came in, uh, Pierce Johnson, Craig Stamen, and Luis Patino were the only guys to not walk anyone. And the Padres used nine pitchers in this game. Now, of course, when Mike Clevenger, your starter, can only go one inning because he gets hurt, you're not going to win a lot of ball games like that, especially against the Dodgers. And the Padres needed Mike Clevenger to give them a couple of innings because the bullpen was heavily taxed in the first series against the Cardinals. And as we all know, the Dodgers offense is significantly better than the Cardinals. And using bullpen games against the Dodgers was just not going to work. Now, games one and games two were designed to not be bullpen games, but starters didn't really give the Padres length in any of the games. So that's what it ended up being. What was your thought on what were your thoughts on the pitching staff for the day? The pitching staff for the day, I mean, as you as you said, Clevenger, I mean, he, he got hurt after one inning. And I mean, good that we took him out. I mean, we, we knew we were risking something anyway. He walked three guys, and that's when Chengler and Rothschild was like something's up with him. So they took him out. And I mean, a bunch of guys, we had nine pitchers this game, and that that was huge. That was a lot of guys. And one one guy I really liked to see was Ryan Weathers. I know he walked two guys in an inning and a third. But he looks great. He got the first two outs, walked a guy, and then struck out Bellinger, the reigning MVP. So I loved what I saw from Ryan Weathers. Pierce Johnson did great in his inning and a third, struck out two guys, uh, not allow- allowing anyone to get on. And, I mean, Stammen, I mean, I know Stammen's been, been Stammen all year. He hasn't been looking good. But that game three, he did great against the Cardinals, and he did gr- great today. But, I mean, just one thing I love to see was getting the young guys some – some playoff experience. We got Patino, we got Morejon, and we got Weathers out there. And those guys are 20, 20, and 21 years old each. But it was really big to get these young guys out there in the postseason. A lot of these those guys will be looking for a rotation spot next year for the 2021 season. So it's huge to get those guys out there to get some experience. Yeah, 100%. You mentioned getting those guys, not only just extra innings, extra reps against a really good team, but getting that postseason experience now, I don't think this postseason is going to replicate what a normal postseason is with 45 plus thousand fans screaming at the top of their lungs. But still, you're still in that situation where, hey, if you don't perform well for us, you're ex- you're hurting our team's chances at winning a championship. It's not like in the regular season where, you know, hey, we, we still got 30 odd more games like it's fine. You'll you'll get another chance. This was postseason baseball. And the fact that Ryan Weathers made his. MLB debut in the postseason and didn't allow a run said a lot about what he's going to be as a pitcher in the major leagues. And I think that the future is bright for a lot of these guys. And I hope that they can come back next year and perform just as well as they did this year. So Bobby, you got anything else to say on game one? I mean, just the Dodgers pitching staff was great. I mean, we knew how it would be Walker Bill. Walker Buehler only went four innings, 95 pitches, though. He allowed one run on that NOLA single. But Dustin May, he got the win, went two perfect innings with three Ks, and he was just looking great. So this is this Dodgers team, the whole MLB knows that they're the best team in the league, but their lineup is so deep, and then their pitching staff and their bullpen is amazing. So it's they're tough to get by, as we just saw in that series. 
Yep, they're the best team in the MLB. If they don't win the World Series, then there's something seriously wrong with that franchise. Let's go look at game two. This was the heartbreaker. This was the game that was just so crushing. Padres, once again, jumped out to an early lead. They scored first when Will Myers doubled into the right center field gap and Tommy Pham scored from first. They were able to get to Kershaw early, and they certainly took the approach of swinging early in counts, not letting him get ahead and letting him use his entire pitch arsenal. But then the Dodgers, they bounced back in the third inning, got a couple of runs, and then Cody Bellinger somehow golfed the home run on a ball that was below the strike zone, just shows his insane amount of power. Then the Padres in the sixth inning hit back-to-back home runs. Manny Machado hit a laser left field, uh, very emphatic bat flip, and then Eric Cosmer followed it up with a home run to right center field. And then the seventh inning comes around, and, man, this was heartbreaking because Dodgers brought on Blake Trinan to face the bottom of the order. He hits Trent Grisham with two outs, then brings up Fernando Tatis Jr., and they go to the bullpen again. They bring in Bruce Dark Gratterall, their hard-throwing rookie. Fernando Tatis Jr. takes him deep to center field, but Cody Bellinger, man, he makes – possibly the greatest play that I've ever seen. Uh, He had to run 97 feet, time it perfectly, jumps up and robs Tatis of the home run. And then they had the whole fiasco with the celebration. We'll get into that in a little bit. Dodgers respond with two more runs in the seventh inning. At that point, you're thinking the game's over. But hey, this is a 2020 San Diego Padres. They don't roll over. The ninth inning, they took it just one at bat at a time, loaded the bases with two outs, down by one, but Eric Cosmer couldn't quite get the job done. The Padres lost five to six. This was a true postseason game, Bobby. What did you think of this game? Hey, this game, I mean, I just want to focus on the ninth inning for now. I mean, just those at-bats that we saw, we had Moreland hit a great double to the right field gap, and then we saw Grisham do the same. I mean, his was a single, but they were great RBI hits to just get runs across, and they were just putting the ball in play perfectly, getting some barrels, getting it to the right center gap uh, for a lefty hitter, or that's a perfect spot to go. And then Tatis and Machado's walks. I mean, those were some of the best played appearances I've seen from both of them all season. I Tatis was down one, two in the count and he took three straight sliders. And I mean, once you get deeper in the playoffs, every single at bat for Tatis will be the biggest in his career. And that right there is one of the biggest and it just kept the game going. You don't just need to just hit a home run. I mean, obviously that, that would be cool, but you don't just need to go home run or bust. Just draw some walks, work the count, and get on base. And that's what Tatis did with Joe Kelly in. Right when he came in, Tatis just drew three straight sliders low and away. And his play discipline right, right there was amazing. And it kept the game going. And Manny Machado did the same. Unfortunately, Hosmer could not get it done. But we just got the guys on base, and we just couldn't deliver right there. But I did, I love to see the fight in the ninth inning. I wish it happened earlier. But yeah, back to that Bellinger play. I mean, that was one of the biggest plays I've seen in the last few years. Springer, Benintendi. Obviously, Bellinger's plays right up there. That changed the momentum, not just the game, but the entire series. Because that would put the Padres up by one run, seventh inning in game two. And who knows, maybe they take the game right there, tie it 1-1 in the series. So that right there was the momentum shift in the entire series. Yeah, I still don't think the Padres win the series if... Bellinger doesn't rob the home run, but it certainly changes the series. At that point, you're you're sitting there like, nothing's going to go our way. The Padres played a pretty much 
flawless baseball game. And they still lost to the Dodgers. I thought they outplayed the Dodgers significantly, but the Dodgers were still able to get it done because they just have that experience. They have the more talent and it's going to be an uphill climb for the Potters to surpass the Dodgers in this division. Now they certainly made a great leap forward this year, but this game really just exemplified what the Potters Dodgers rivalry, if you want to call it a rivalry has been for the past decade. It's just been the Dodgers finding every which way to come out on top to find a victory. And it sucks being a Potters fan because we're on the wrong side of it every single time. And that's why we really appreciated when Trent Grisham hit that home run and we sparked that comeback against Kershaw because the Padres don't do that against the Dodgers. They just don't. And you saw that in this game. The Padres did just about everything right. They still couldn't get it done. And let's talk about the top of the seventh inning after the robbery home run. So Bruce Argrado, very emotional pitcher. You know, he's a young Latino baseball player. And we've seen throughout the year, those guys, they enjoy playing baseball and you show that passion. And he threw his hat, he threw his glove in celebration of Bellinger catching the home run. And I thought that was awesome. You know, he's celebrating his teammate making a great play. And then after that, it was very unclear because there wasn't a, a shot of both Manny and Bruce Arcadarol. But all we do know is that Manny was yelling back at him and Bruce Arcadarol blew a kiss towards Manny and was starting waving. And I'm not sure which came first, but all I know is that if I allowed a home run to center field and my teammate had to bail me out, I wouldn't be blowing kisses to the opposing team. That I mean, that's just me. Have fun celebrating baseball. You know, it would be very hypocritical for me as a Padres fan who's just raved about how we celebrate playing baseball to say, hey, you can't do any of this at all. But I thought him blowing the kiss was a little out of line and a little uncalled for. Yeah. I mean, it's postseason baseball. I mean, you love to see some energy and that's what, that's what happens in postseason baseball. When the Padres were down, Manny Machado hit that home run through his bat. Sometimes that's all you need just to spark something up and Hosmer hit a home run right after that. So it's all about the energy that you want to spark up. And I mean, this right here, I mean, don't want to get into it too much uh, in a negative way, but I love seeing the energy and of course, there were some choice words that uh, might not have been the best from either side with Muncie and Machado. But yeah, what you said with Gratterall, I mean, the way he just threw his hat and his glove after getting bailed out, and especially like you said, the kiss, that was, I think, unnecessary. Uh, I, I do love seeing the energy, but after getting bailed out right there, I mean, I would be if I was Gratterall, I'd be blowing a kiss to Bellinger for bailing me out. Yeah, it, it was odd. I'm not going to be mad at him because he's playing postseason baseball. Like I said, it would be hypocritical for me to be mad at him. I just thought the blowing of the kiss was a little weird. And if he was doing it in response to Manny yelling, F you, F you, that is different. But I'm not entirely sure that Manny's what sparked it. I think that there is a possibility that that Bruce Dar blew the kiss and then Manny said, F you, like, I'm, I'm coming for you, which I thought what Manny did saying I'm coming for you because he was on deck. Well, it was completely fine, but I don't know. It, it, it's tough for me to say who's in the wrong here because we don't know who did what first. And there, there's been both sides of the story. Like, you know, uh, I think it was Caswell wrote that Bruce R. Blue kissed first and then Manny yelled. And then you read an LA Times article and they'll say that 
uh, maybe yelled and bruised our blue kiss. And then there's just no really way to know because I don't think anyone really saw which went first. I could be wrong on that. I haven't read every single thing about this. Like I said, there's no shot of both of them doing it. So we'll never really, we'll never truly know who did what first. All I know is that it was an awesome postseason baseball moment. And it's what's great for the game. And it's just going to help building a young audience. So it was cool. Going off that again, I mean, I did I did love to see the energy. That's what postseason baseball is. And that's what we need against the Dodgers. You need some energy. You need to keep going and just get the just get the boys in the dugout hyped up. And might have been extreme. And the thing is, we don't really know who started it. It doesn't really matter. I don't care who started it. But it just there was energy there. And that's that's what you see in October baseball. Right. So I think that wraps up the discussion for game two, just a heartbreaker game three. I don't think there's really much to say about it. The Dodgers really just showed that they were the better team scored in four straight endings in the middle and then four in the ninth against Rosenthal. The Padres were winning. They were winning two to one at the end of the second inning. had the bases loaded, had a chance to score some more runs, but the Padres once again, they just couldn't capitalize when they were given scoring opportunities. And it was hard to watch again because the Padres just showed their lack of postseason experience. Ended up losing this game 12 to 3, made a couple of bad errors. What were your thoughts on game three? Yeah, I mean, the main thing is again, we only scored three runs. We just couldn't get our bats going. We had six hits in our nine in our nine innings at the at the plate. But yeah, God, our it just shows how much more experienced the Dodgers really are. And it's a it's a elimination game for the Padres. And Dodgers, I mean, they had room to give, but they just didn't. They just didn't give us any chances. Julio Urias just absolutely was amazing against us. Five innings of sh- of one run ball, one hit, and six Ks, and he was just hard for us to get back in the game there. And I was surprised Dustin May only pitched one inning because I'm I'm glad he came out, but he did he did walk a guy. His command wasn't looking that great, but uh, just I mean, yeah, our our pitching staff just got hit hard. Morihon Mar- and Stammen. Both allowed three runs in the first three innings each, and Rosenthal allowed four in the ninth. But it was just it was a tough game to watch, and the series really just showed how much that the Dodgers are still better than us. And it, it, it just one year we can't go last to first and take down the Dodgers. That's that's not what really happens against a team like that. But the main thing in the series that I took away the runners in, in scoring position. Padres were three for twenty three all series with runners in scoring position. In game three alone, the Dodgers were eight for 24 with runners in scoring position. They had 24 at-bats with guys on base. And in the whole series, they hit 13 for 39 with runners in scoring position. That's a 333 batting average. And they just they were clutch all series, and we left a lot of guys on base. And it's just that's, – that's what hurts in postseason baseball. You just can't be leaving that many guys on base, and you got to be clutch. No, and a lot of this comes down on the pitching staff. Obviously, the bats didn't do much, but at at some point, the bats not scoring a lot of runs comes because the Potters are just getting killed, and they don't really have much to play for at this point. First off, you kind of saw the lack of bullpen depth at this point carrying over because all the pitchers had been used several times over the past week, and the Dodgers have faced the Potters 10 times already this season. So they've already seen a lot of these guys pitch. And so now they're seeing them for the second, maybe third time for the week and for the fourth or fifth time of the season. They've already seen these guys a ton. 
and they're able to hit off these guys. And a big part of the problem this series for the Potters was the walks. In game one and game three, there were just way too many walks, giving away too many bases. And you got to give some credit to the Dodgers at that point, too, because the Dodgers, they did earn a lot of their walks. But at some point, the Potters got to make better pitches to make them earn their hits. And the Dodgers, they were getting their hits, too. Don't get me wrong, but you can't expect to win any games walking nine batters, especially against the Dodgers. Another mistake, I think, was leaving Adrian Marijon out to pitch the third inning after he did his job through two innings. You know, he only allowed one run, uh, but his pitch count was getting up there. He faced the first two batters, and he ended up pitching 50 pitches in his Previous high for his career was 46 pitches. So I don't think you're really setting up your player for success if he's going to have to pitch his most career pitches in a postseason start. I just don't think that's setting him up for success at all, really. And they ended up getting the first two guys on. They ended up scoring five runs in that inning. At that point, you're really thinking the game's over. And then, like I said, the Dodgers had seen almost everyone the Potters brought in out of the bullpen at this point. And they were just able to tee off because they've seen all these guys before. That's what good teams do. And the game is over and it really sucked to see Rosenthal allow four runs in the ninth inning. He truly had a remarkable September for the Padres, but bringing your closer in when the game is eight to three, that's not a situation he's usually in. He closers have that mentality of coming in and I have to allow zero runs for the team to win. Different situation for him, not making an excuse, but that's got to be certainly part of the reason that Rosenthal allowed four runs. Just a tough way to end the season. Now, honestly, I'd rather get blown out like this than lose another heartbreaker like we did in game two to end the season. You know, any other game, you'd rather uh, lose in a heartbreaker, lose in a close game. But to end the season, you're kind of just sitting there for the last couple of innings, you know, just appreciating everything the Potters had done this year because you know that this is the last game. It's the last time you're going to watch them for five months, because now we got all of October, well, most of October, all of November, December, January, and most of February. So there's basically five months until we get to see Padres games again. So I know that while watching the last couple of innings in this game, I was certainly appreciating what the Padres did this season. Yeah, Dom, I love that point you made. I mean, I, I even agree, like, game three, I would rather lose like that than in a heartbreaker, as you said, which, I mean, a lot of people would go against, but, I like, I mean, same thing with me. I kind of just sat there on my couch just thinking about how great this season really was. And, of course, we had Clevenger and Lamette hurt this series. If they're both healthy, this, this is a much different series. I'm not saying we take it, but it's a much more competitive series. And the thing is, it was a sweep, but a lot of these games were close. I mean. Only one of them was a one-run game, but if you watch the game, it was a lot closer than this. I just sat there and just just took in what an amazing season this was, what it meant for the city of San Diego and the organization and all the players who knew that hopefully that this would kind of be the beginning. And if if this is a good season, then it's the start of everything new. And it's just it's just going to give them momentum for next year. And it just shows the MLB that San Diego is here to stay. And it's not just going to be this year, of course, because – next year is supposed to be the beginning of it all and where we should contend again for the next many, many years to come. Right. We'll talk about the future of the Padres on different podcast episodes. You know, we got a long off season. We don't want to cram a ton of stuff into this one podcast. So 
we'll leave you on that. We'll we'll talk about that in a different episode. But Bobby, what did this Padres team mean to you in 2020 after just sucking for so long? And then 2020 was truly an awful year, but then the Padres for the past couple of months have made it significantly better for me at least. What did this team mean to you? Um, God, yeah, I mean, this is the brightest spot of 2020 for me. It's been a rough year for everyone. And this really just brought me hope for the Padres. And I mean, the Padres are really all San Diego has right now. Of course, we know what happened with the Chargers years ago, but the Padres are, are the only thing here now. And hopefully that they can bring San Diego title in the next, at some point this decade, hopefully soon. But yeah, I mean, this is the most excited I've been as a Padres fan my, my entire life. I mean, I was six when they were last in the postseason. I I was watching it. I know that. I don't remember it that well. The last thing I, the longest, oldest thing I remember was watching Matt Holiday not touch home plates, crying under my bunk bed. But and we we went through a lot of tough years, and this just brought hope for the organization for San Diego. And I just love to see it, and just excitement in the dugout. I know the, the the series did not go as we wanted, but just the excitement in the dugout to tease Machado, the future face of baseball and i just love to see it from the boys out there the boys in brown yeah it's truly a wonderful season from the padres and at some point potters fans had to realize that they were going to end up facing the dodgers in the nlds and all realistic expectations were that the potters season was probably going to end at that point and there's nothing wrong with that the padres won 71 games last year they finished in last place in the division after being 500 at the all-star break it was truly a miserable second half of the season last year. And for the Padres to rebound like they did, have the second best record in the National League, the third best record in the MLB, shows that this team is going to be a force to be reckoned with going into next year. And to be completely honest, I don't know if the Padres are going to have as good of a winning percentage next year in a 162-game season, but... To no one's surprise, the Potters are going to be a playoff team for the next couple of years going forward. The Potters are going to have several chances at the Dodgers. I just hope that the Potters can get through them because it's going to be an uphill climb, like I said earlier on the show. But certainly confident that this group of talented players is capable of getting the Potters over the hump and doing that. So, Bobby, you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up this podcast? Yeah, just I mean, as all San Diego knows, Brown is back. I'm excited for the future, and I can't wait to see what this team does over a 162 game season after go, going from 70 wins to the best for, for the best winning percentage in in franchise history. I can't wait to see what what comes next. Yep, exciting time to be a San Diego Padres fan. So we thank you for tuning into this episode of Devil's Talking Padres. This is an East Village Times podcast. So go make sure to check out our content on eastvillagetimes.com. I know we were talking in our group chat on Twitter last night after the game ended. We got a ton of articles coming out over the next couple of weeks talking about the offseason, what the Potters can look forward to doing in 2021. So you want to make sure that you follow us on Twitter at EVT underscore news to know whenever we post an article and check out our content at eastvillagetimes.com. As for Bobby and I, follow us on Twitter. I know that we'll be providing off-season content as we go, especially here on Devil's Talking Podgers. Follow us on Twitter. Follow me at DMster19 and follow Bobby at BobbyMurphy2000 to know whenever we release a podcast, whenever we write an article, and whenever we providing you information about the Padres because we we are journalists. We're, we're providing that information to enlighten you 
and to inform you while also having some fun on Twitter as well. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Devils Talking Padres. We we thank you all for tuning in throughout the season. We certainly enjoyed talking about Padres baseball, especially winning Padres baseball. We know this podcast is going to keep going through the offseason and through the next season. So be sure to keep listening to us whenever we release our podcast throughout the offseason. If you want to be a guest on a future episode in this offseason, DM one of us on Twitter. We just gave our ads, so you can go ahead and do that. That's going to wrap it up. Thank you for tuning in, and as always, go Padres.